Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your 6 and 18 Detroit Pistons. We talk about Killian Hayes outdueling Luka Doncic as the entire NBA universe looked on, Marvin Bagley finding his stride offensively, and the Pistons' struggles at the free throw line. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by Big Ten champion Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you feeling after yesterday? I'm feeling better after that first half, or after that second half, I should say. First half. <laughs> first half, they had they had the blood pressure spiking. I'm telling you, they they seem to be a second half team, though. So. Uh... I'll take it. Sad to hear the news about Blake Corum going down for season-ending surgery. This seemed like this should have been his moment in the sun, but uh, great, great season for the Michigan Wolverines. So I'm happy about that. So who are you hoping to face in the playoff? Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'll be honest. I feel like the Big Ten might be a little bit overhyped. I'm a little worried mm. that maybe Michigan is a smidge overrated at number two in the country but um you know they've been surprising me all season so you know maybe they've maybe they've got more hidden than than i realize so i i don't I know I, 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 I don't think it matters yeah i'm not i'm not like a huge college football uh watcher but you know i watched the tcu game yesterday they looked pretty vulnerable i watched the lsu game lsu georgia they they also did not look uh good Clemson hasn't looked good all season. Like, I, I think you and Georgia are probably just the two best teams in the country. It's just Georgia's probably way, way better than you. So, <laughs> well, thanks, Les. That's that's awesome. Nah, Georgia's <laughs> way, way better than everybody. So, yeah, like, okay. yeah, right. yeah. Uh, I, I hope uh, we don't see the oh, Alabama sneak in. Ugh, be interested that, to see. Yeah, yeah, that's that, true. That'd be super boring. Um, disappointed in TCU, honestly. But uh, but yeah, we should probably actually talk about the Detroit Pistons before I go off on like five more minutes about college football. Uh, the Pistons had a decent week. Uh, we most importantly, I think they the team roster has been reinforced. Right, Jaden Ivey came back. Sadiq Bay is back. I don't know if Sadiq Bay counts as a reinforcement at this point, but we're going to talk about this later. Uh, Isaiah Stewart came back. Boyan, even though we knew Boyan wasn't going to miss like that much time, he's also back. Ben, I had forgotten like this team actually looks like pretty good with all of their young dudes even if uh their young dudes are not amazing players it's nice to have the full complement of uh or most of the full complement of players back this week and then of course Isaiah Livers is going to miss some time with the shoulder strain so they can't get perfectly healthy uh no matter what yeah Isaiah Livers hurts his shoulder then knocks down a three just like 
purely on the next possession and then has to come out, which was interesting. Uh, but yeah, this that seems to be the way it goes when you're relying on health to be competent. You're always going to be down at least a guy or two. And so you, you can't ever quite be right. But it is reassuring to know that, um, you know, Troy Weaver had a vision for this team to be at least competitive. It was hard to remember that when things were really, really bad. Yes, it was. But, but we're getting to see some of that, some of that vision of being competitive. Not there all the way, clearly. Still a long ways away. But some competitive basketball. I mean, we're just going to pretend the New York game didn't happen, right? I mean, that's oh, yeah, what I'm totally. pretending. Okay, yeah. perfect. So, yeah. So, they were competitive this week. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, they the New York game like was the first kind of uh, blowout they've had in like the last like eight or nine games, and so in watching that game, that was just no one told me it was Julius Randle's birthday apparently, and so like yeah, okay, he played well on his birthday, making you know six threes in like the first quarter or whatever. Like sure, that's gonna happen apparently, but uh, I don't think that was indicative of like where the team has been over the last two weeks anyway. But uh, yeah, but, but with the full complement of players back, we are getting a closer look at like the rotations and lineups I expected to see kind of at the beginning of the year before, you know, everybody started going down with injuries. And so I wanted to get your thoughts about the two big lineup, right? We're, we're finally seeing that lineup with uh, Marvin Bagley and Isaiah Stewart get some extended run. The stats on them per NBA.com, I don't have cleaning the glass is uh, they're a negative 7.6 net rating with 122 defensive rating, which is bad, which is bad. But uh, they're doing a pretty good job on the offensive glass. Uh, they're doing a decent job of keeping the pace up. That's one of the slower lineups the Pistons have used, which is not totally unexpected with two bigs. But um, being able to get extra possessions on the offensive glasses, I think it helped them in terms of just you know playing the possession game. Um but the defense, that defensive number kind of concerns me. What were, what have your thoughts been so far on the Marvin Bagley, Isaiah Stewart pairing, Ben? Yeah, I think, you know, it's fine. I, I think that seems about right. Um, you, know, you talked about rebounding. They crushed the Mavs 52 mm-hmm. to 30 in a win. So that was nice to see. I think rebounding was particular. I mean, it was kind of the unsung hero of the story. We'll talk about Killian in a minute. I mean, obviously his his breakout in overtime was the big story of that win, but crushing Bagley and Stu both crushed on the glass. Bagley, I think was particularly active on the offensive glass, which was nice to see. He was a problem for the Mavs all night in that regard. I think in terms of the net rating, that blowout loss to the Knicks sort of skews that probably it's a small enough sample where one big loss can skew that in one direction. You know, look, the defense is still not good. I don't think two bigs are a silver bullet. I don't think it's going to solve anything that, in terms of the defensive woes. And I think athletic fours are still going to be a problem. I think no matter how you shuffle this big man rotation, athletic bigs are a problem. Christian Wood was really problematic, for example. Against the Mavs, you talked about Julius Randle. The Knicks kind of seem like kryptonite to this Pistons roster. I mean, they just have all sorts of problems for the Pistons, but... I think athletic fours, Bagley and Stu are going to struggle. They're just not equipped to deal with that. But you do show up the defensive glass in particular with two big guys. That's been a problem all season. The Mavs game in particular highlights that. I mean, 50 to 30 is dominant. Um, you know, that, that explains a lot of why they were able to win, I think, particularly offensively. They shot the ball really well, 
but then even when they didn't shoot well, they generate a lot of extra opportunities. So, you know, that, that I think is the the case statement for why you'd want to run two, two bigs. So, um, you know, I, again, I don't think there's any particular lineup with this roster that's perfect. You're, you're just having trade-offs. You're going to have to make some trade-offs no matter how you shuffle the cards. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think this, this is fine. I think... We'll talk about Bagley in a second. He's he's playing well enough offensively that I think some of the trade-offs you make defensively, and I think he's rebounding well enough that he, he's justifying this lineup for right now. Yeah. Bagley uh, Bagley is kind of the swing piece that like has to make this lineup work because earlier, like when he wasn't playing well, um, it as even as the solo big, right, it was a real uh he had the, his limitations defensively come are even more like thrown into contrast when you don't have another rebounder alongside him. So you can't even, uh, if you're trying to switch him out or if he's, you know, playing too deep and drop, you can't even, uh, attack the glass. Like when he's like contesting, um, with guys like Boyan and, and Sadiq out there at the, at the four. Um, it's been interesting to me that the defense has been that bad. I didn't expect to see uh, that bad of a number, the 122 that was higher than I was expecting. That is also kind of like roughly what it was last season. So maybe my expectations were misplaced. Um, there was there was some like talk of Marvin Bagley being more active on the defensive end, right? He was averaging like a block and like half a steal a game. He was making more uh, flash plays defensively, but he still kind of just is what he is on the defensive end and it's been interesting to kind of watch them uh, try and legislate their way around his limitations defensively. Um, but I mean, ba- I, this is going to, I want, I did want to talk about Bagley though, because he is playing better, right? He is contributing more offensively. And that is a big part of why you want this two big lineup to work because of what uh, both those guys can bring offensively. If um, they can ever get anything going defensively. Uh, remember we talked a couple weeks back, Bagley was, his numbers were down. He wasn't, probably fully conditioned for NBA basketball in his last six games. He's back up to 16 points and eight rebounds per game shooting 64% from the floor. I think his efficiency is a really big help uh, to this team. Just having another big man who is a, an efficient finisher around the rim is really big for Killian and, uh, and Jaden in particular. Bagley is also shooting 54% on threes, <laughs> fewer than two attempts a game. He's going one, one for two from three every night. I don't know how long that's going to continue, but uh, he is getting open looks, right, Ben? I think it's been interesting. When I was envisioning the two big lineup in my head, it's like, okay, which one of these bigs is going to be the space, the quote-unquote spacing big, right? And now uh, we've seen some improvements from Stu in that area, big jump. If Marvin Bagley is confident, like, is it possible that both of these guys are the the spacing mm-hmm. bigs? Could, could we dare to dream? So I think I'm probably going to be a Bagley spacing skeptic until kind of like I was with Stu. Like, you know, I need to see him do it for 20 or 30 yeah. games <laughs> because he's been so bad uh, throughout his career shooting the three. I mean, plus the thing about him spacing is it takes him away from the thing he's best at, which is being the inside vertical finisher. And I think I've seen other guys really looking for him uh, in the lob game other than just Killian too, right? Like we've seen a couple of the other guards looking for Burks him. Burks has looked for him, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, 
I don't think I want him drifting too far away from his main tool set. And, and that's the thing that opens things up for everybody else too. So, I mean, two attempts a game, that doesn't seem horrible. If he's playing like starter caliber minutes, two attempts isn't awful, especially if he's just wide open. Um, but I mean, he took a few mid range shots. I don't, I don't mind the mid range shots as much as I mind the threes. Cause he's still at least theoretically only a, a few strides away from getting back towards the rim. And also like I talked about his offensive rebounding, like he had a put back dunk or two, like, that that's really where I want him taking advantage of his of his athleticism, his vertical spacing abilities. I want him inside. So I think I kind of like Stu as the spacing big man. And interestingly, I feel like Dallas was kind of pressuring Stu, running him off the line a couple times, which was fascinating to me because that's the thing we've been wondering if teams would start doing. I think Stu shot like five for nine or something. He shot really well against New York. I don't remember what the exact numbers were. And then, uh, Stoop with the ball on the floor, which <laughs> that was also interesting. <laughs> let's just say, I mean, that that's the next part of his development, right? Let's just let's just put it that way because it didn't go particularly well when, when Stu dribbled. But the defense had to respond to shoot, Stu shooting, which, I mean, that's good. That's progress. Um, so, yeah, I, I, the long answer to your question, Laz, is I think I like Bagley staying more on the inside and I think I like Stu Ming more staying more on the outside. But I, I don't mind if Bagley's gonna be a decent three point shooter, I don't mind him at like two attempts a game. I think that's okay. Yeah, I I wonder what decent ends up looking like, right? He is a career thirty percent Marvin Bagley is a career thirty percent three point shooter. I would be shocked if he shoots like thirty three percent this season. Um but I, I'd suppose that's on like the low end of possible. Um, it does help that a lot of these looks are wide open. I do wonder, like you like you mentioned, teams starting to run Stu off the line, and now that's the next development of his game. Bagley is a guy I trust a little bit more. If uh, teams are going to run out at him, it's just harder to see a world in which teams are like really attacking Marvin Bagley on closeouts. But yeah, it's been the offensive rebounding point is a good one. It's a point I wish I would have thought of. Um, and the other thing is like the the there's some mid post stuff. They they like to give him the ball on the right side, let him attack to that strong left hand in like mid ISO situations. Um, they can get away with that like once or twice a game. Um, I'm I'm fine with that if it you know keeps Marvin engaged. But yeah, it's been it's been interesting to just see him kind of get back to what he's doing and I don't want to take the 16 again 16 and 8 is like not that's not uh that's meaningful production um so I shouldn't really quibble with the production but the the shot selection has been like an issue for me at times there was that late corner three like in the Dallas game he like took a corner three with like 14 on the shot clock late in the game and like my head is like in my hands as soon as he catches the ball in the corner like marvin no don't do it and he did it and it missed and it didn't kill them but uh that's that fine line between like confidence and uh arrogance or whatever the the quote is um yeah i think about spacing as well if if marvin is gonna be shooting open threes that means uh, teams are they're just like continuing to pack the paint against this too big lineup, and that's going to make offensive rebounding harder for for Stewart for uh, guys like Jaden Ivey likes to crash every now and again, 
And if the paint is just full of bodies because no one is a threat on the perimeter, I feel like that's going to be an offensive issue like sooner rather than later, especially if I don't con- expect Marvin Bagley to continue shooting them all this well. But hey, like again, we're not, I'm not going to be mad at 16 and 8. Like it is what it is. Um, yeah. All right, Ben. The story of the week Killian Hayes outdueled Luka Doncic in overtime in a real life NBA game. Uh, as a starter now, Killian's up to almost 12 points a game, three rebounds a game, six assists per game, less than two turnovers per contest. He's shooting 44% from the field, 40% from three, and 88% from the line. But like we mentioned last week, now he's down to less than one free throw a game, which is still barely bad. Um, like we we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. Well, we actively avoided talking about it for one week, and so now this is, I guess, the second week we've been talking about it. But nothing with Killian has really changed over the course of us talking about it, which I feel like is a good thing. It's kind of what I was hoping for, right? That he would continue to this would be a new level of play for him, and like we wouldn't expect a, a baseline kind of below this. Um, I remain very quietly glad I uh, held most of my Killian stock then. Laz been hodling like uh, nobody's <laughs> business. <laughs> hodling the stonks. Uh, yeah, man, Killian. I mean, we got to talk about the wins because they don't happen that often, and it's been the most recent game, and it was in such dramatic fashion. So we got to celebrate it when it happens. Okay, my favorite part of of the Mavs win obviously Killian Hayes my favorite part of Killian Hayes the narrative was the one that I don't think was talked about a lot and it's that the Cavs worked the Pistons in the fourth quarter and in particular uh, Donovan Mitchell worked the Pistons and in particular (laughs) Donovan Mitchell worked Killian Hayes late in the fourth quarter And you could see Killian trying to respond a little bit offensively and just struggling to do so in that Cavs game. Pistons really controlled that Cavs game for like three and a half quarters. I mean, they were pretty much, I'm not sure if it was wire to wire, but it was pretty close until like, I don't know, like seven minutes and 45 seconds, something like that. Donovan hit a three. I think the Pistons maybe grabbed the lead back one more time, but the Cavs pretty much controlled it from there. And then it was like a parade to the free throw line. Donovan and Garland just drawing foul after foul, knocking down shot after shot, and the Pistons just had no answer. And I think if you look at the trajectory of Killian Hayes and his young career, it would have been so easy for him to lose confidence and get discouraged. And what we saw instead well, there was the blowout loss to the Knicks, but the next opportunity he had to respond in a close game against an NBA superstar, he responded the way he did against the Mavs and against Luca. So, I, I mean, that that's phenomenal. I mean, that that's just an incredible sign of growth and maturity. I'm, what, three weeks away, four weeks away? I mean, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was openly wondering, like, is Killian Hayes on playable like his his shooting so bad he was like at what 27 28 percent true shooting percentage i mean is his shooting so bad that he needs to go to a stint in the g league and figure stuff out because he was struggling like everything else like i've been singing his praises everywhere else that's like great defender really good court vision really good passing but the shooting is so bad like can you continue to play him last three games 
true shooting percentage of 60 plus percentage. I mean, totally turned it around since Kate has gone down uh, with an injury. I think to me, what's so fascinating, Laz, is you look at this young kid's career. Hi, Chester. That's my dog. You look at this (laughs) young kid's career. He's been shuffled around into so many different roles from starting as a rookie, getting hurt, coming back. Then they draft Cade. He's on the bench. He's playing off the ball, throwing him into the corner to shoot, catch and shoot threes. Then all of a sudden this season, Cade goes down. He's having a terrible season, but Cade goes down. He gets put back into his natural position. He's got a long leash to make mistakes without worry of getting benched. And all of a sudden he's thriving. So you put him in the situation where he can just play instinctively. He can just do the things he's always done for his entire career after, you know, this is his third year, even though he hasn't played three years worth of games, but he's had two and a half years of being in the NBA, developing, being around NBA coaches, around NBA players. All of a sudden he's thriving, you know, still a long way to go. All of that Mm -hmm. stuff. He's thriving in the role that he has always played and he's just playing. He's just reacting. He's just playing basketball. It looks to me like he's out of his head. He's not overthinking every single thing he does. He's just taking step back threes. He's just getting by his defender and, and taking a jump shot or he's making a play and dishing to the, he's just playing basketball with the ball in his hands. And that's really refreshing to see because look, I mean, a lot of the fan base has been ready to give up on the kid. You've been holding the stock, which is great. I was getting close to being like, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. But you give him the ball and you just let him play and you can see the glimpses of, of a real NBA basketball player. And, uh, yeah, he, he outduels Luca, And that, that's got to be the absolute career highlight for him so far. Absolutely a blast as a Pistons fan to watch. The thing I was afraid of with Killian is that the – front office would feel pressure to give up on him. You know, Cade ascends really rapidly. Jaden Ivey ascends really rapidly. There's a good group of guards like at the top of this year's draft class. And so they're like, okay, like we can get, it was like, this was a, this was a mistake. We can trade Killian. We can draft another guard or we don't really need another guard, right? We still need wings. And so we can move on from this guy. And then like you mentioned, he would go to a situation where he would end up in his natural position of of point guard, of guy with the ball in his hands most of the time. And he we would see some of the development we're seeing right here. I was so fearful that we were going to see that development happen somewhere else. And so I'm so glad that it's happening here in Detroit in front of our eyes. I will say, I thought I thought he actually played well in the Knicks game. He had a hot he had a hot start. He went like three for three. And then like by the time uh, he ran his second stint, they were already up 20 and like the game was kind of over and this just kind of was yeah. what it was. Um, but yeah, he's been playing really well uh, since he became a starter. But Ben, like, like you mentioned, he's playing so poorly at the beginning of the season. Like his numbers still haven't like caught up to the fact that he's even like average. Like you still look at his field goal percentage for the year. It's still awful. You still look at his true shooting percentage for the year. It's still awful. Um, you know, true shooting is not going to be kind to a guy who doesn't uh, get to the free throw line as much as he doesn't get to the free throw line, but still uh, the, the efficiency numbers are uh, still not great for him, but yeah, he's just, he's just playing. He's just playing. And uh, you can see him starting to 
the we talked about the two big lineup a little bit earlier. You can see him starting to kind of figure out like how to maneuver that as well from a playmaking perspective. We saw the uh, the late game uh, pass to Marvin Bagley, who was cutting from the baseline underneath the basket to get a layup. We saw the uh, the manipulation of the defense to get um, Isaiah Stewart like a wide open layup down the stretch of the Dallas game as well. And so he's continuing to do this scoring outburst is a is in fact like doing what we were hoping for and making him even more dangerous as a, as a playmaker because now defenses have to account for like two possibilities when he starts getting downhill with the ball in his hands. Um, the, the other thing I want to mention is that like Dallas's defense has been horrendous for a couple of weeks now. Um, you know, we saw what the Christian Wood at, as your main big guy experiment <laughs> looks like on defense and it wasn't great. And so I'm not surprised that, uh, Killian was able to to play well against that level of perimeter defense. Um, I I do I do think a lot of his struggles in the Cleveland game that you brought up was due to the fact that like Evan Mobley is kind of like lurking as like that second line defender, and so uh, he, he was a, a little bit more uh, cautious about trying some of the stuff he's tried with Evan Mobley, like you know just in the back, kind of you know roaming. Um, and so I do wonder what he will look like as he continues to garner more defensive attention um, as teams start to like put him in the scouting report is like, Hey, this guy can shoot now. Like, Hey, this guy's playing with confidence. Now you might actually have to guard him. But uh, at the same time, like as long as he's able to get to, he's, he's six, five, six, seven wingspan, right? Like he should be able to get to these comfort spots, like 16 feet and in 12 feet and in, uh, you know, eight feet and out. He should still be able to get to all these shots and he's shooting them much more confidently and he's shooting them much more on balance. And it just, he just looks like a completely different player. And I, I'm, I'm ecstatic to see it. Uh, it's, it was interesting to me too, as well. Um, this is like, this is the second scheduling court game we've had over the last couple of seasons where the Pistons have been one of, they've been in the only NBA game played that night. <laughs> and so you get like the entire NBA universe kind of watching the Pistons and, uh, kind of, uh, you always hope that the uh, that you're judged fairly uh, during those games. But now we've had two big performances in, in those games, right? The Sadiq Bay 51 point game and the Killian Hayes uh, like outdueling Luca game. It's just uh, it's interesting to to note that like that's happened the last two times. Like the entire uh, NBA has been watching the Pistons. Yeah, and I think you know for Killian, it's it's all about establishing a foundation to build on right he's just he struggled to have a consistent chunk of 20 games 30 games where he can build an identity and go into the next chunk of development with that identity so you know here's hoping this this chunk of games and it, it seems like it's gonna be a while right Kate yep. doesn't have any timeline for return hopefully this chunk of games 30 40 50 games is that identity building sort of development plan for him. That, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I th- you mentioned Cade too. Um, I do think that like this recent stretch of games is encouraging, but I also think the Pistons, like from a coaching and front office perspective are aware of like what this means when Cade returns, right? Like I still think Killian is in their long-term plans as a backup, as perhaps a higher level backup than we were expecting, but uh, as a as a backup to Cade to Jaden Ivy, 
Um, perhaps Dwayne Casey's maneuvering lineups where you play all three of those guys together. Um, I know that's a Dwayne Casey thing he would probably like to do, but uh, we're still, we're still, as we build a baseline, we keep in mind that like this baseline is not necessarily like starting level NBA guard. And like Mm -hmm. that makes it even better because now the, the baseline he has to hit as a backup guard is even lower. And it feels like that's a little bit more feasible. Absolutely. But yeah, uh, the comfort is up. The feel is up. The the playmaking is up. It's been great to see from Killian Hayes. Conversely, Sadiq Bey. Yeah. Sadiq Bey tweaked his ankle against... Uh, he didn't play. Did he tweak his ankle against Sacramento or he didn't play? I think Sacramento was the first game he missed. So that makes uh, the Utah game where he tweaked his ankle. Either way, Sadiq Bey came back after missing a couple games. He's played three games uh, since his return. And in those three games, he's averaging 10 points a game. Or Okay, he's averaging 10.7 points a game, so almost 11 points a game. Four rebounds a game, less than an assist per game. And he's shooting 36% from the floor, 15% from three, and 75% from the line, only getting the line 2.7 uh, times per game. Ben, what, what happened to Sadiq Bey? Yeah, Sadiq has had a real struggle this season, hasn't he? I mean... yeah. So the three-point shooting remains extremely difficult for me to get my head around. I, I've thought about this every way I know how to think about it. I was looking at it again, thinking about the podcast for this week. I was looking at some of the numbers, trying to figure out if they you know, just because I watch the games, I eye test it. I, and then I look at the numbers. Like, is there something in the numbers that I'm not seeing in the eye test? One of the things I looked at was... Uh, Assisted threes versus unassisted threes. Like, is there something about, is he being asked to create a whole bunch of his more own three-point attempts? As a rookie, 93% of his makes from three were assisted. As a third-year player, 93% of his threes are assisted. That surprised me. It's identical. Uh, The big counterpoint here, the big thing that's different, as a rookie, 67% of his attempts were from three this year, 47% are. So the thing I've been just sort of noticing as I watch Sadiq is it seems like, and Laz, tell me, tell me what you think of this. It seems like his two point, obviously his two point shots, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of two point shots he's taking, but it seems like he's got to work really hard for the two point shots that he takes. And it seems like the difficulty of those shots is pretty high. Like, I, I was noticing this this week. Um, he came off the bench against came off the bench against Dallas, I think. And it seemed like the looks that he had to get were just tough. Like, you know, the, off the dribble, sort of like his, you know, his off the dribble stuff is very deliberate and methodical. But then it often turns into like, you know, he's got the guy on his back or on his hip. And it turns into like the 15 to 17 foot, like fadeaway jumper. That's not an easy shot. I mean, mm-hmm. those are tough shots to make, and they're they're semi-contested or fully contested looks. And so, it, in addition to being really difficult shots that that drag your percentages down, they take a lot of effort. So, I guess you know, Laz, you've hinted at this and talked about this. This is this is my best theory as well. He's just working so hard to get the two-point looks that he's getting that it's either a mental thing. Or it's actually a physical thing. Like he's just actually fatigued and his legs aren't there. And as a result, he's either in his head 
Like he's just not seeing the ball go through the hoop. So when he's shooting the three, it's in his head and there's something psychological going on or he's fatigued. And as a result, his, his just legs aren't there and he's not knocking down the three. So that's the best I got. I don't know if either of those are right, but uh, either way, no matter what's going on, if I'm totally off base, the three point shooting last, like this has got to get right. Like he's got to figure this out. Um, whether it's here, whether it's elsewhere, I'd love for it to be here. It's a great story. Um, I like Sadiq scoring 51 points as a Detroit Piston. You want that kind of guy to stay a Piston. Uh, he fits everything about the way he plays, the way he works. Like you want that to be here. Um, but man, it's, it's been rough in that three point shooting is just, it, it's not going to get it done. I wonder if you, I wonder if the the way he was producing earlier in the year, right, was is impacting uh, the type of shots he's choosing to take now. Uh, the when we when we were talking about Sadiq earlier this year, right, he was maintaining a sixty percent true shooting percentage, mm-hmm. yeah. and he was and he was in the starting lineup, and he was being productive because he was able to generate a lot of free throws because he was able to get fouled on a lot of these tough shots because like you mentioned his is uh his in-between game is so deliberate he's able to kind of coax guys into position get him on the get him on the hip get him on the back throw out the jab throw out the pump fake get them in the air and then kind of get you know draw contact and go to the free throw line from there um off the bench it seems like that hasn't been the case as much so far um like i mentioned he's only shooting two and 2.7 free throw attempts per game that that's a big decrease in what he was shooting earlier this season. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I wonder about the fatigue. I wonder about the change in role, right? He's coming off the bench. Now he was starting that does have an impact on your, like on your game, on your mental ability. Um, we, we discussed like what the, the impact of the two big lineup would be like when Marvin Bagley was hurt. And you and I kind of agreed that like, it made sense that Sadiq was the guy who needed to come off the bench because the thought was right. Boyan is a better shooter than Sadiq and we need the spacing in the starting lineup, but also the way Sadiq was playing earlier in the season, you know, having the ball in his hands a lot, being able to draw so many free throws that like, that seemed like a good match with the bench lineup. Now with Alec Burks kind of in the lineup, handling the ball a lot, it does kind of seem like there's not as much opportunity for Sadiq to do that. And he's not producing when he's able to get those opportunities. And so this is, this is just a transitory thing. I hope for Sadiq. Um, I think it's more likely than not. He'll break out of this. I saw someone, someone uh, tweeted this out. He's shooting. I think his, he's down to like 27, 28% from three uh, on the season. And someone pointed out that like this time last year, he was also shooting like 27, 28% from three. And so maybe he is just one of those guys who starts the season slow, regardless, picks it up in, you know, January, February. And, uh, and we see how it goes from there. I, you know, I'm willing to give Sadiq all the leash that he needs in order to, to start playing better. I got a DM from uh, a guy who analyzes uh, the play of like another team. And he was asking me, like, you know, you know, what do you what do you think of Sadiq? Like, I've seen he's struggling. Um, it was like, do you think he's in the Pistons' long term plans? And my first instinct was like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, he's still like they're not going to give up on him. Um, 
but like the the more i thought about it like the the role change does not speak to like hey we like highly value you the the way he's producing is not uh is not worth someone who should be highly valued right um so i I do think he's i do think he's in the long-term plans for detroit but and and because of that they're going to give him the space to kind of figure things out but this is this is a really interesting kind of inflection point for sadiq you we keep bringing up his rookie year and it feels like he's been playing uh a more expansive offensive role, but been worse at it ever since his rookie year. And part of me does, does wonder like, does he just need to simplify things? Does he just need to go out there and like emulate Isaiah livers, right? We're shooting six times a game. Uh, four of those are threes. We need to hit two of them. And like, that's our role off the bench. And maybe that's like a good baseline to get him going into the future. But yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been so odd to watch Sadiq kind of like work his way through uh, these things for sure. The other thing I'll say is like if Sadiq is going to be a guy off the bench who has the ball in his hands uh, a little bit more, like less again with Alec Burks in the lineup, but with still kind of like a secondary or tertiary guy, he's averaging under one assist per game. Like that, that's kind of in line with what he was doing as a starter. He has to be better as a playmaker. Um, he missed, he missed Jalen Duran, was wide open underneath the basket a couple times just because he's got his head down and he's driving to the rim. Um, that kind of thing is going to be really important. Um, and was more excusable when you were knocking down shots. But like as your shot has deserted you, you need to keep your head up and be able to look and, and find your teammates for, for easier and more uh, more effective shots, for sure. All right, Ben. Uh, I wanted to take this time to acknowledge the contributions of Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec yeah. Burks. We don't talk about them on this podcast because they're you know here for a good time, not a long time with this Pistons core. <laughs> they're the they're the uh, thirty and up crew. Like we you know we're more interested in what the young guys are doing. But uh, both of those guys' play has been instrumental in keeping the Pistons competitive and competent during like this last couple stretch of games. And you're right the the theory that Troy Weaver has put forward of like complimentary vets surrounding your best players to get you. Um, to get your the your young guys in position to produce and get them uh, ready to contribute in the ways that you want them to has been effective so far for the Pistons, even as they've only won, what, like six games. And so I'd, I'd, I'm happy with Troy Weaver and I'm happy with Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks. Those were, those were great acquisitions. Uh, just because we're not talking about them doesn't mean we're not appreciative. Yeah, absolutely. Boyan's been a pleasure to watch in particular. Um, I had no idea how versatile he was as a scorer. Uh, scorer I've mentioned that a couple times. Um, the dude is not only a catch-and-shoot phenom. I mean, he's able to get his three-point shot off from all sorts of ridiculous, sort of fundamentally awful <laughs> catch-and-shoot positions. <laughs> like, And it just speaks to how good he is as a shooter. But then in addition to that, he's just like the crafty old dude from the Y. Like he, he manages to cross people up in the ugliest, grossest ways, but get by them. And then also get to the free throw line at a stupidly good rate. Like, I mean, he's just much better and much more of a complete package offensively than I, than I would have realized defensively. I mean, he's not that good. But offensively, absolutely. And Alec Burks is kind of the same way, right? Like, I mean, he gets to the free throw line a crazy amount as well. Very good shooter off the dribble, which I did not anticipate. 
Um, I, I think a lot of players would love to. I mean, Boyan could probably start for a lot of teams. I think Burks would probably come off the bench for a lot of playoff teams as well and contribute. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they both. Burks, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't finish the season as a Piston. I would imagine Boyan does, but it'll be interesting to see if he finishes his contract as a Piston because I think, I mean, I, I think a lot of teams would love to have him the way he's playing right now. Yeah. I Burks, I think, I, I wonder about him finishing the year. I wonder about him getting traded. Just like because of the extra year with the team option, like that's an attractive uh, mm-hmm. deal for, for other teams. Absolutely. It's not a full uh, rental situation. Um, but if the Pistons like traded him for, you know, uh, you know, a top 25 draft pick, a future first round pick, whatever the case may be, it's like, that's, that's all of a sudden, like a lot of ball handling and free throw generating and, uh, and points off the bench. So you're just like missing, (laughs) right. It's just gone. And so like that, that is, that's definitely, it's, it feels weird to say it, but like, yeah, trading Alec Burks is definitely like a tanking move. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if this team. Uh, wants to be in full full tanking position um the other thing is like Cade's injury might impact this right i think if Cade were healthy it might make the loss of another ball if if Cade were healthy and killian were still you know developing along a similar arc probably not this exact arc but a similar arc it might make trading in alec burks even easier because then like you'd have you know two point guards and you feel comfortable about that right now if like if you trade alec burks like you got like kojo and like we're (laughs) We're back to Kojo, and it's like that. I don't. I don't know if that's where they want to be in 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 March per se. That Rodney Magruder put back dunk though. I mean, we all want to <laughs> see more of that. And we almost got bowl bowl for Rodney Magruder. So, you know, <laughs> Gosh, you never... <laughs> oh, what could have been? You never know. All right, Ben. Uh, what have you What have you been thinking about this week? What's What's going on in Ben's corner? Oh, Laz, I hate to say this, I do. But Jalen Duran's free throws are giving me nightmares. Why is it that every Pistons athletically dominant big man has to be a 50% free throw shooter? Laz, it's not fair. I think it's 46%, 47% right now. I Do you looked. know any shooting coaches, any sports psychologists like... What do we got to do, man? Because this this kid could be a phenom, but I really don't want to do this sub, you know, sub sub the kid out every you know every other possession because we got a fifty percent free throw shooter again. I I don't know if I can take it. Okay, it's forty six and a half percent. That's that is not good. No, so far he has shot forty three free throws. So it's not, not a lot. Um. Yeah, I guess that is kind of a long-term issue. Um, if he's going to be closing games, you can do the hack of Duran. That seems to have kind of lowered in popularity around the league. So, like, maybe that's a tactic that we see less of. But, uh, but yeah, it's not great. And it's so it's interesting too, right? Because Duran displays a good level of touch from like you know twelve feet and in. We've seen him hit some turnaround jumpers. More importantly, we've seen him take a lot of turnaround jumpers that I don't always love, but. Uh, when he's able to like face up and get to his spots, it do- he does look confident in taking those shots. The free throws, yeah, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. He was this, and this is a continuation of what he was doing in college, right? I think he was like a sixty, it's a mid sixties per uh, free throw shooter in college. I mean, I would take that in a heartbeat. Like, I can live with that. Yeah. 
he'll probably figure it out. I hope so. I wish you could, I wish you guys could see our faces. We're both just like kind of <laughs> groaning our way through this. It's one. just like this team. I mean, they get it's like we've wanted a team that gets to the free throw line, Laz. Like mm-hmm. we've begged, get to the free throw line, please. And this and year the they get to the free throw curls. line, but they can't make it. Like rebounding and free throws, like if they would have fixed those issues, how many games would they have managed to, you know, be in and the game? Two. At least two. The right? Toronto game and the uh, there's another game earlier this season that they lost at the free throw line. But definitely like the the first Toronto game, they lost that game at the line. Right. But like even the like even the Cleveland game, you can't say they would have won the game, but they mm-hmm. would have been like more in the game over the last you know three possessions of the game where Cleveland's running away with it at the free throw line. Right. Like they would have been. Yeah competing in those last three possessions instead of Cleveland just knocking down free throws on the Pistons, hucking up contested isos, right? Like trying to get back in it with contested three. So yeah, free throws, man. Jalen Dern is what made me think of it. We got to, we got to get these figured out before it becomes a thing. Um, Cause 46%, man, that's not it. There's also quietly like the C plot of the Dallas game, right? Like neither team shot. Well oh from God. The line it was game. brutal. Yeah, and it, the win, it didn't have to go to overtime if uh, the Pistons made more free throws, but yeah. they didn't. And Luka also missed you know, two yeah, free throws did. late yeah. and immediately got the ball back and hit a step back three. <laughs> hit a three. <laughs> yeah. Like, step back three over, I don't remember who it was. but yeah. I think it was Boyan. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it, this team definitely would be better if they could make their free throws. I'd, it's been good to see that they've finally with these vets have an emphasis on getting to the free throw line on getting those easy points. But you also have dudes, you know, like Hami has struggled from the free throw line. Like at times this season, you mentioned Jalen Duran, um, Jaden Ivy quietly shooting, I think like in the seventies from the free throw line, not good enough, but yeah, it's just, it's not, uh, it's been, it's been kind of running. Yeah. It's 72% for Jaden Ivy or so almost 73%. So yeah, not not as good as you would like it to be, but uh, yeah, this is quietly something that uh, is not good for the Pistons. All right, Ben, the Pistons play Memphis later tonight. Then they go back on the road, back on the road already, uh, and another back to back. They play Miami on Tuesday and New Orleans on Wednesday. Those are going to be two very tough games. New Orleans, in particular, is going to give this team fits. They are long, they are athletic, they are skilled, they are explosive. That is a really if they weren't playing the Pistons, it's like it's a really fun team to watch. So that's going to be a kind of a kind of a tough game. And then actually, they play the Grizzlies again on Friday, uh, this time on the road. And then they go back home to play the Lakers, the suddenly uh, resurgent Los Angeles Lakers at home on Sunday. Any of those games stand out to you as a potential upset alert, Spin? <laughs> Do any of them ever last? Let's like let's. <laughs> well, you called one last. I week did. I called one. I called the Mavs. You I did. did. I didn't call it would be uh, Killian putting Luke <laughs> in his place, but I did. I did manage to call. You take one. it no matter. The, there are no pictures on the scorecard, right? Right. I'm actually really looking forward to the New Orleans game because I haven't watched Zion play. So hopefully he doesn't like, you know, fracture an ankle or something between now right. and then because I'd really like to watch him. Hopefully I didn't jinx him. Um, Miami always feels vulnerable to be, but again, we're vulnerable to athletic bigs. I, I always feel like, you know, I never know what we're going to get from Miami. They've got old guards. 
um you know kyle lowry is like almost as old as me and you les so like maybe they're vulnerable um not the lakers they're playing well and they've got lebron and ad let's go with grizzlies tonight back let's go with uh let's go with miami i'm gonna go with miami as the winnable game this week okay okay i like that uh yeah Zion has been playing really well. They played the Raptors earlier this week, and he had a um, he had like a spin move through like three Raptors for a breakaway dunk. His and highlights are just ridiculous, just ridiculous. The, the 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 picture, you know how they have like the camera behind the backboard that like takes yeah. the the mid air flights. It's like they they've got the shot of him like rising up for the dunk, and like literally the five Raptors behind him in a circle, just kind of like staring in <sighs> awe. It's like Zion's so fun to watch. I hope he stays healthy because it, it, he's just so much fun for anyone who loves basketball. Like he's just, he's so fun to watch. Like his, just his highlights. I mean, just what it's like, if you love football, you go watch Barry Sanders highlights and just be in awe. Like he's like, it, it's like that to me. Like he just does stuff that nobody else can do in his frame and his body. Like no one else has that. So yeah. I just really hope he stays healthy and I haven't watched him play a complete game this season. So that, that's, I'm, I'm looking forward to that game college zion was one of the few guys who like made my wife like look up from whatever she was doing on her phone and be like whoa who's that guy that guy looks that guy's crazy he's like yep he he's real real good <laughs> so yeah i i absolutely hope uh we do get to see zion play um obviously in a pistons win right like we want zion to score 40 and do all a bunch of cool stuff and uh killing also score 40 in the pistons win but uh but yeah it'll be definitely fun to watch the the pelicans play uh all right, Ben. Good talking to you. Good seeing you. Uh, happy about uh, Michigan's Big Ten Championship for you on behalf of you guys. Appreciate If that. you didn't win, I was definitely going to have some Purdue jokes <laughs> ready for you. But that's okay. We didn't We didn't have to do all that. Uh, oh, the fake know. punt, man. The fake punt. I was like, are they really going to do this? They're just going to run trick plays all night. Oh. The fake flea flicker was a stroke of brilliance. I loved that. I was waiting for the double fake to come out in the second half or something crazy. Uh, let the people know where they can uh, where they can find you, where they can uh, chat up with you about the uh, the Pistons season, and perhaps perhaps a uh, college football playoff win over a team to be named later. Oh wow, yeah, that would be crazy. Uh, at BR Golker on Twitter, you can find me when the games are live and I'm awake to see them. Um, <laughs> not always a guarantee in the second half. Even hey, on New Orleans Coast. on the road, that's like that's East Coast time. East Coast. Uh, otherwise, you can find me in the comments at DetroitBadBoys.com. No Kate hate this week. I do pay attention. <laughs> of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We truly appreciate it, and we will talk to you all next week. See you guys.